Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. When arrived, they found the telephone we have a, and electricity lines. The weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Morning. Cup of murder. Sometimes a criminal can be charged for their crimes in a quiet, easy trial. Others have trials so insane that it not only affects the outcome but cements the killer's name in true crime history. On July 4th, 1954, a woman was murdered, and her husband's trial would send Cleveland, Ohio into an absolute frenzy. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Samuel Shepard had a pretty charmed life. He was born on December 29th, 1923, into a wonderful family in Cleveland, Ohio was an excellent student, class president, and sports star, and married his high school sweetheart, Marilyn Reese, after finishing medical school and heading back to Ohio to work in his father's growing medical practice. He was a good-looking guy, a successful neurologist, and had a wife who was pregnant with their second child. He had it all. And it would take just one night for him to lose everything. On the evening of July 3rd, 1954, the Shepherds were in their lakefront home on Lake Erie in Bay Village, Ohio, entertaining some friends and watching a movie. At some point in the evening, Samuel fell asleep on the couch. Marilyn let him sleep, bidding her guests good night and heading upstairs to their bedroom. In the early hours of July 4th, Samuel awoke to hear his wife in distress and was met with a stranger wearing what he described as light clothing. Before he could make out the man's face, he was hit by the assailant and knocked unconscious. When he woke, he found his wife's dead body. She had clearly been bludgeoned to death. Then, upon hearing a sound downstairs, Samuel ran down and found the intruder was still in the house, chased him out the door, and down to the beach. They fought again, and Samuel was knocked out again. It wasn't until 5.40 a.m. when a neighbor received a call from Samuel pleading with him to come to his house that anyone knew anything had happened in the shepherd home. He regaled them with the story, his story, while standing in wet, blood-stained pants, no shirt, and obviously disoriented. His seven-year-old son, whose room was not far from where his mother was murdered, slept through the whole ordeal and was left unharmed as was the family dog, who did not bark when the intruder entered. About 20 minutes after Samuel called his neighbors, a Bay Village police officer arrived at the shepherd home. The bedroom was covered in blood splatter, and drops of blood dotted the floor throughout the home. Marilyn laid in bed, face up, with her pajama top pulled up, breasts on display, 
and her bottoms pulled off one leg, leaving her pubic area exposed. Her face was all but unrecognizable. Some things in the home were missing, a possible motive for the intruder, like Samuel's wristwatch, keychain and key, and a fraternity ring. However, these items were later located in a canvas bag in shrubbery behind the home, leaving investigators to wonder, if this was a burglary gone wrong, why would the assailant leave behind his bounty? Questions like this, and many others, cast immediate doubt on Samuel's story. He was the only witness after all, and the media took these suspicions and ran wild. A federal judge would later say, quote, If ever there was a trial by newspaper, this was the perfect example. On July 21st, the Cleveland Press ran a front-page editorial titled, Do It Now, Dr. Gerber, which called for a public inquest into Samuel Shepard. Just hours later, Dr. Samuel Gerber, the coroner tasked with Marilyn's case, announced that he would be holding an inquest the next day. On July 30th, that same paper ran another editorial titled, Why Isn't Sam Shepard in Jail? And that very night, police arrested Samuel Shepard. The problem was, many of the facts that these papers ran, if they had any at all, were proven false. Regardless, Samuel was charged with the murder of his wife, and his circus of a trial began on October 18, 1954. And the jury in his case was never sequestered. Therefore, all of this news was available, and each member formed their own opinions. Now, this doesn't mean that there was not evidence that supported the theory that Samuel was the killer. But it is worth noting how skewed and swayed the jury and public opinion was. A mistress came forward at some point, sending the trial into a tailspin, and broadcasted the detail of their three-year affair on a public radio station. This alone was a motive for Marilyn's murder, and Samuel's retelling of the events were inconsistent at best. But the defense argued that the only evidence against Samuel was his presence in the home, that the blood on his clothing was from his altercation with the intruder and his discovery of his dead wife. The prosecution then pointed out, by his own account, Samuel and the attacker had a fight on the beach that left him unconscious, but, as witnesses would testify, had no sand on him when the neighbors and police arrived at his home. The lawyers went back and forth and threw out plenty of facts and a lot of speculation, but in the end, on December 21st, after four days of deliberation, the jury found Samuel Shepard guilty of second-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison. But the story isn't done. Samuel's lawyers, of course, applied for a number of appeals, most of which were rejected. But on July 15, 1964, he was granted a writ of habeas corpus on the grounds of the carnival-style trial, and on June 6, 1966, the Supreme Court, by an 8-to-1 vote, struck down the murder conviction. Samuel was given a new trial after only serving 10 years of his life sentence. This time, the jury was sequestered, though the media coverage remained about the same. On November 16th, after just 12 hours of deliberation, the jury found him not guilty. The man, who may have brutally killed his wife, was on The Tonight Show just three weeks after his trial. He wrote a book, got remarried twice, became a wrestler named Killer Sam Shepard, and began practicing medicine again. 
though this didn't last long as his alcohol use deteriorated his surgical skill, and two patients, in fairly quick succession, died as the result of his mistakes. Finally, on April 6, 1970, Samuel Shepard was found dead in his home in Columbus, Ohio. In 1997, his body was exhumed at the request of his son in an effort to clear his name. DNA testing was done, after which Samuel's body was cremated, and a lawsuit was filed that claimed a man named Richard Eberling was Marilyn's real killer. He was an occasional handyman for the Shepherds and had a bit of a crush on the married woman. He had a criminal past and a strange habit of being acquainted to women who ended up dead. He was a suspect in the beginning of the case, but was ultimately excluded when he passed a polygraph. The DNA evidence, which was not available during the original trials, showed that there was presence of a third person's blood, one that did not belong to either Samuel or Marilyn, at the scene. The plaintiff DNA expert was 90% confident one of the blood spots belonged to Richard Eberling. But he was the handyman, and handymen do sometimes get injured on the job, not to mention the sample's degradation as time passed since its collection. The analysis was deemed inconclusive and not presented at trial. After a 10-week trial, on April 12, 2000, the court ruled that Samuel's son had failed to prove his father's innocence and that he was wrongfully imprisoned. To this day, it is unclear if Samuel was responsible for his wife's murder or if, like he said, there was a stranger inside of their home. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on July 5th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there is always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.